I think the mentality for the longest time and a struggle with a lot of entrepreneurs or business people is do you spend time working for the business or on the business? Differentiating that, that was the shift. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to Weiss Advice. I am your host, Yona Weiss. Now, the man I have the pleasure of sitting on the opposite side of the screen with me today is someone, you know, very special, J.R. Patel, founder, president, chief operating officer of Helix Hospitality. So, J.R., a little bit about you. I mean, just so our listeners have a little bit of context. I always like to give a little bit of context to who our guest is because we've had a variety of guests on our show. Most people have something to do with real estate. That's really the common denominator. But you know, we really talk about anything and everything on here. And just a little context, you know, JR is not only in the hospitality business, you know, runs Helix Hospitality, which is a Chicago-based, you know, hotel investment ownership management construction company. He took the portfolio, when he took over the family business from a portfolio of under a million dollars to over $100 million in under 10 years, so he's definitely a mover, a shaker. He's definitely an entrepreneur, someone who has vision that goes far beyond his years. And something that a lot of people don't know about JR, which is that, which I, there's probably a lot of things I don't know, but, but one thing is that he, he serves as a board member on the DePaul University School of Hospitality, which is considered like the top school you know, in the United States for hospitality. And so that's a co-chairmanship that you share with some of the other, I mean, I think if I'm not mistaken, like three or four of the other like top executives in the hotel industry in America. Yeah. So I co-chair uh, the academic subcommittee uh, with some great folks based in the Chicago area, but also we've got some CEOs and just big industry leaders on that board and was really lucky to be just sort of through the general network asked to join and being an alum of the university, it's been great to be involved in there's just a big sort of age gap between the executives who've been in the industry so long and been in Chicago for so long and the folks like myself and a, and a few others who are there who are maybe in their 30s and 40s who are starting their own businesses, who are running, who are leaders in their own right, in their own industry, and in their own uh, uh, enterprises. And uh, it's been really great to just help bridge that age gap between students and, and sort of an older board who's been there for a while. Absolutely. And so Helix Hospitality owns and manages, I believe, 11 hotels across the, uh, the Midwest. And, you know, obviously this time, the past few months has been, you know, a crazy economic situation for the entire country. But, you know, when people think about who's been hit hardest, a lot of people turn to the hospitality industry. So what's your take on that? And it's kind of someone from on the front lines, if you will, what's it been like for you guys? Oof. Um, well, I think hotels and hospitality have been hit very hard. I think the hardest has definitely been the airlines. Those carrying the airlines, the Amtraks of the world, the Greyhounds of the world, they, the real transportation companies have been hit hard, but hotels have been very, very botchly close to them. And we've gone on now 10 years as an industry, 10 plus years of just record, record growth. It's one of the longest runs of continuous growth the industry's ever seen. 
and now one of the fastest and most deepest declines in losses ever recorded in the industry. It's just two extremes colliding. And I think the lot, those who, you know, our firm really grew out of the, the this past recession and came forward from it. So we have a lot of war hardened practices. I, I hate to use that term, but we came out of that and we were operators very much on the economy and mid-scale segments. And as we grew out of then to sort of upper mid-scale and upscale product, a lot of those practices of real hands-on frugal operations were put aside and we, we really had to be capital forward and, and intensive in our properties. But I think as an industry, nobody expected it to be this hard, this fast. We all sort of watched this tidal wave go around the world and mid-March, it, it really hit our shores. And we looked at financials for every single one of our properties on a day-by-day basis. And there's almost a clear inflection point across the portfolio within sort of a four-day span where you went consistent growth through that first quarter and it just dropped. And there's a free fall period anywhere from two weeks to six weeks. And that two to six week period was just absolute chaos. I mean, I... <laughs> I took pictures of myself every morning the first two weeks and I just looked awful. But beyond myself, I think the team as a whole really took it personally. The folks have been with us from the beginning and for them to watch, you know, my accounting manager started with us eight years ago and for her to watch a monthly revenue look like what a good Tuesday would be, it was just astonishing. And I think that's for a lot of groups. We were lucky enough where we had the ability to, and frankly, as an organization, chose to keep our entire corporate team on board, all of our property managers on board, as many team members on properties on board, but also we kept all our properties open. And I think that made a huge difference in markets that were heavily impacted, where you had the top two, three, four properties closed down, we were the next in line. So we did fare pretty well, but we wanted to keep our properties open, both to help our team members and keep the assets running, but also it's a symbolic move for us to say, you can't stop us. We're going to keep pushing. And I think this industry has that bravado to it. I hate to say it, but it is a little bit of a, a push to say we have to stick together. And has that been the collective kind of mindset or response from, I know you're very close with a lot of other owners and operators in the industry. Is that what you're seeing across the border? Or do you think your approach is kind of, unique in that regard? I think we're a little unique just because our ownership structure is very much, the decision-making is very much under one roof. We were capitalized with lots of LPs and institutional money. I think there's a very different approach to it. It's no capital calls, very cut and dry. It's not going to happen. You have to make the hard decisions. And I think for us, we've spent the better part of a decade investing as much in great properties, but in even better people. And it would be a shame for 90 days or 120 days or six months or a year to let all of that unravel. Yeah, 100%. And, and are you making strides going forward now? I mean, now we're, as of this recording, we're, we're towards the end of June in 2020. And you're starting to see a lot of cities, markets, economies open back up, you know, and things are, are starting to fare quite well. And, you know, people are, are itching to get out, if you will. So the hospitality industry is kind of, springing back to life. How would you look at the next kind of six months going forward? So we've definitely seen an uptick across the board. I think our sort of portfolio statistics are very close to how the industry as a whole is is faring. But I think the next six months, the outlook is cautiously optimistic. 
June is strong. July, August, September seems to be consistently growing, but there's so much of a fear of a second wave. And I think even as these as certain markets are opening back up and there are hot spots coming in, you know, there, there's certain cities that we operate in or even parts of the state which are coming up as hotspots, we're seeing those properties immediately, their growth tamped down again. So I think folks are hypersensitive to it, mm-hmm. uh, which is a good thing and a bad thing. I think the fix-all is going to be a vaccine, but I don't think that is a final fix-all. I think there's still a fundamental shift in the way that industry operates and what is cleanliness. How should we be operating? Is a breakfast buffet ever going to be palatable again? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, there's so many, so many things that, that are changing. Has there been any sort of, I mean, and really new, I haven't been following the news much, just to be honest, I don't follow the news much at all. <laughs> but... Yeah. But is there, don't blame you. You know, our, our hospitality groups, you know, kind of bonding together to kind of, you know, weather the storm together. Are you seeing any kind of new life in the industry where you may have not had something before as like a, a joint committee, if you will, or anything like that for the overall industry? So I think the American Hotel and Lodging Association, HNLA, and HOA, which is the Asian American Hotel Owners Association. Those two are just massive powerhouses in the industry. Uh, I think the two combined are, don't quote me here, but I know HOA is probably 50, mid 50% of the owners in the country. Uh, and combined with HNLA is likely, you know, I, I'm guessing in the 80% range, but uh, tremendous voice in Washington in terms of how programs like PPP are rolled out and what the real impact is. I think that's been a fantastic voice. And I think both organizations have done a tremendous job at really bridging the gap between small groups like ours and you know, the owners with four, five, 600 properties under management. The other I think, thing that I'm seeing more and more of, which I don't know if it's a, a true representation of the industry, is sort of this, this subculture of owners getting together and uh, hosting WhatsApp groups and email groups and Slack threads of hey, the brands are rolling out these programs and we don't agree with it. We should push back and, and folks bonding together and saying, I have a friend who's in the banking world who used to draft legislation. Let's get together and put something together and push it forward. I think it really just goes to show the resourcefulness and the reach of the even small to medium-sized owners like us, how far we can really push and uh, the willingness for people to actually understand what's going on. This industry has always been perceived as big business. The reality is the vast majority of hotels in the country are not at all. They're mostly owner-operators, all under 20-unit operators who put their life savings into it. We're no different. We just have a lot of infrastructure to manage and maintain and and to build them. But it's a collective of those small and medium-sized owner-operators that are really the major employers, that become major employers. And that is really the scary part. Yeah. Looking back in the past 10 years or so, as you, you know, kind of took your father's business and you kind of were thrust into it, I think in paraphrasing in, in the words that, that you told me when we met last year, <laughs> that what were some of the things, the key things that you kind of implemented taking from, and you had a totally different approach, it sounded like, from the kind of old world, you know, approach that your father had in running hotels versus kind of the, the new young generation approach of, of running a business in the hotel industry. What are some of the things that, that you did that really were game changers for, for the success of your business? I think it was really 
building some structure. If we were going to grow, we had to standardize some of our processes, our approach, where we're buying from. And it really was, you know, a lot of the younger generation that comes in is they like to reinvent the wheel from scratch. And I grew up in his world as an employee of his, and I understood his approach. And he's that generation generally doesn't take the path of least resistance. And I think it's important to note that, that, you know, we're not going to take the first bid that comes in. We're going to request three bids to come in and we're probably going to negotiate the best bidder. It was really marrying two generations of and approaches. And him and I, we, we butt heads like any father-son duo does naturally, but it's never about the destination. It's generally about the path and the approach. So I think some of the initial things were really building infrastructure, team, processes, and spending time to build a support team. That's something he learned early on 30 plus years ago in the industry. And as we grew, it was really, we couldn't be responsive to it anymore. We had to build a team to build a company. I think the mentality for the longest time and the struggle with a lot of entrepreneurs or business people is, do you spend time working for the business or on the business? And it, differentiating that. And that was the shift. When we really decided to shift and say, we need to work on the business, in the business or on the business, we really need, we need to work on it. And uh, to do so, we really need to build that team and, and everything that comes with it. And that was really the, the kicker. And we're in a place now where if we were to scale from 11 to 25 or 11 to 30 properties, we're really capable both with manpower and capacity and processes to do that. Awesome. And is that in the game plan right now? I mean, obviously, the economic situation is as such as we've described until this point. But, you know, are you still looking at deals? Are you still trying to find things or are just trying to you know, put out the fires of the current situation? I think the immediate hemorrhaging is gone. Our mindset, I mean, we had projects, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we had projects under <laughs> close to contract or negotiation uh, first quarter. And uh, the mindset was, okay, you know, we're going we're gonna to take a couple of licks for the next few months here. But once we start to see light at the end of the tunnel uh, and, and we start to hit some break-evens and there's a, a bit of a plan and structure and projection into what, is to come, let's go back and be the first ones there. Maybe the deals that dropped off, we can be the first ones there to have start dialogue back up. And yeah. so the old adage of when there's blood in right. the streets, it's time to buy, it, it's coming back. Uh, but I think a lot of other folks realize that too. So if we were there before and we're the first ones thereafter, I think we have a bit of a leg up, but it's also a relationship. So to answer your question, yes, we are. <laughs> it's time. <laughs> it's time. And, and I hope that time comes soon. As you said, the break-even point is on the horizon. You know, I think there's a, a lot of changes. And I, and I do believe, you know, you just mentioned kind of in passing the, the breakfast bar will look the same. But I think a lot of things are, are kind of changing. And I think your ability to pivot and to, to put in new ideas to how to weather that storm in the future, I think it's going to really be the, you know, the game changer for a lot of people, including yourself. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's us and a lot of others. I, I think there's just so many unknowns. The brands are changing their requirements. It really is a, it really is a wild bust. Well, I appreciate you taking the time and, and, and sharing some of the painful, you know, insights to your daily world. Hey, before we get to the final four, I just want to tell you about streamlined podcasts. Okay, I could not have a podcast if I didn't work with streamlined podcasts. As simple as that. These guys are my go-to. They do all the editing of these audio pieces that you guys are hearing. 
And I really couldn't do anything without it. I literally tried to start a podcast for about a year and it was just daunting to me to spend time writing show notes, to do the audio recording, editing, taking out the ums, the ahs, the spaces, everything. These guys make it sound so crisp, so clear at such an affordable rate. And for my listeners and my listeners only, you're gonna be thrilled. If you're ever thinking of starting a podcast or you have a podcast, check them out at streamlinepodcasts.com. Set up a time to speak with them and use promo code WEISS, W-E-I-S-S, and you can get 20% off your first month if you do end up signing up with them. I guarantee you it's gonna be worth your while. I want to jump right into the final four, Jr. It's it's always a pleasure to speak with you, but I want to you know kind of shift into this. So the first question I always ask is, what is the worst job that you ever had? Oof, uh, this was a uh, a family job uh, working in my dad's print shop, and part of the old printing process was making negatives, burning plates, and. Uh, sort of stamping and or sort of uh, punching and putting the plates in the present. The worst possible job in that was to clean the dark room and to clean the sink basins in the dark room. And it was just this awful gunk and a chemical smell. And you're wearing these big, heavy rubber, everything. It was just awful. But <laughs> Would I do it again? Yes. Would I do it for more than a day? Probably not. <laughs> oh man, that doesn't sound too pleasant. Um, what? What's a, what's a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? This is uh, recently very odd that I'm even bringing this up, but uh, Kitchen Confidential, Anthony Bourdain. Very just a blunt, refreshing look on on food industry, but also on somebody who had never really looked at food or looked at I think he says in the first couple of paragraphs of the book, but I never looked at food as anything more than something to keep me going. So that was really the, the change in mindset was to look at uh, maybe different pieces of real estate or things that you're presented every single day in ways other than just their pure functional use. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, that sounds, sounds quite fascinating of a, of a book. So Kitchen Confidential. Kitchen Confidential. And he's, it's, it's, uh, blunt and profane and <laughs> everything else that you'd expect from Mr. Anthony, the late Anthony Bourdain. But uh, wow, what a, just an interesting perspective. Okay. We'll definitely check that one out. What's a skill or talent that you would like to learn? Uh, something I'm actually, I've always been interested in, but I'm, I'm working towards more and more is woodworking. Um, my brother-in-law is big into it. Uh, hmm. And I've always worked around the trades and in construction, but I've never had a chance to, uh, apologies, but build a fine piece of furniture or a table or something that you actually enjoy outside of a, a wall of two by fours or uh, more, again, the functional piece in, instead of uh, having something that you actually put some time and energy and effort into and, uh, and mastering the craft. So odd, but uh, it's, it's very Zen-like for me. Okay. Well, that, that sounds very interesting. There's a, uh, there's a lot there's a lot to that because it is a beautiful form of artwork, a beautiful craft in, in general. And there's so many facets to it. I had a very close friend who was probably about 30 years my senior, who was uh, just a wonderful man. And, um, you know, he should live and be well. He's probably in his 80s uh, right now. 
and he's a woodworker and I, you know, I got to sit with him and, and watch like sometime and he crafted some, so things just incredible to see, you know, and just, yeah, really, really impressed by, by that type of thing. So it is unique, a little different, a little out there, but uh, it's great. I appreciate you bringing that up. And the fourth final question is what does success mean to you? I think success to me is part of it is doing as much good as you possibly can, given the ver- given the, the fixed elements in our life, 24 hours a day, two hands, two feet. The biggest positive impact we can have to the world around us, the people, the places, the places we stay, the communities we work in, I think that's truly the definition of success to me. And that's, if that's employing people, if that's teaching, training, mentoring, restoring a property, it could be anything, but really having a positive impact around us. It could be educating. Uh, that's why I've always been big on the mentorship programs and that's huge. It's really just giving back. We all have the fixed, same fixed uh, 24 hours a day and the same uh, two hands and the same two feet. And it's what we do with them that counts in that time. Yeah, no, that's, that's beautiful. I agree with that 100%. That's a definitely awesome approach to have. Where can our listeners find out more about you or reach out to you? LinkedIn. We're on all our social media pages. LinkedIn, uh, not as good as yours, but we're working on that. <laughs> LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, on our website, helixhotels.com. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always pretty relatively active. I try to respond as quickly as I can, but uh, love to connect with folks. Uh, we, we're a hospitality company, but we're also general commercial real estate. So we, we reach out in, or we dabble in multifamily, uh, industrial, and, and lots of other facets. So love to connect with folks. And uh, if there's anything I can help advise on the hospitality side, I'd love to. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time out today and sharing some of this with us and our listeners today, JR, it's really always a pleasure speaking to you and, you know, now doing the, the whole Zoom thing, we have to see each other a little more. And I wish you tremendous success, you know, continued success going forward, weathering this storm, you know, going on to much bigger and better things and coming out to, uh, much more complete on the other side. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. Really, really look forward to it. Look forward to it and looking forward to connecting again. Awesome. And to our listeners, thank you again for joining us. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. I for sure did. And remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn, send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.